0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Muncie First Brethren Church with Pastor Jim Garrett. This week we continue our series in the Gospel of John. Here we hear from John the Baptist, who clearly points to Jesus as the Son of God. Here's Pastor Garrett. So how many of you, like my wife, no, that's, let me make sure I finish that, <laughs> yeah. How how many of you, as my wife does, watches HGTV and these these shows that deal with, you know, whether it's Texas, Flip and Move, um, Love It or List It? How many of you like some of those shows? All right. All right. And and I'll spare the embarrassment, and I won't ask who watches Hallmark Christmas movies. Just keep that to yourself, Jerry and Adam. <laughs> I, I know, I I know Jerry does. Yeah, that's. No, I don't want any justification for such behavior. <laughs> oh, that's. That, I suppose. <laughs> so one of the things, and, and I mean, I am amazed at the, the people, uh, the things they know, how to do things, and, and especially when they're, they're starting from scratch and putting those things together. And, and you realize that, you know, as even as you listen to them talk, I've watched a little bit, uh, the Holmes and Holmes, you know, the guy that... That uh, he and his son now are on this crusade to build well and, and even correct things. but you know the biggest issue is always what? If, if there's and the most expensive issue in a, in a home that's been constructed and you're trying to repair is foundation issues. And the most important part of the building process is the foundation. So right now, if there's someone sitting next to you, you need to nudge them and say, "Listen up. We're going to be talking about some foundation stuff." So tell them, we're going this is important. Jesus, Jesus wanted this to be absolutely essential in every conversation. And I and I want you to notice this. There's a lot of theology or doctrine or questions that he could address about God in the Old Testament, you know, what what happened here, what was going on there. And, and we got a small taste of, of the serpents in the wilderness from Deuteronomy when, when they were tested and, and God raised this bronze serpent and said, all you have to do is look and you'll be healed. Jesus said, just as the serpent was raised by Moses, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. But he doesn't go into any more detail. What he gives them is the foundation of what it means to believe, what it means to take God at his word, and then to be forgiven and to have life And especially in this context of saying, you know, what is God doing in response to this world and what's going on in it and what's what's happening around us? And Jesus is answering those questions. And so first we have Nicodemus, this religious leader who should have known best. He should have known first. and, And you will find that when Jesus interacts with religious leaders either in the Gospel of John or any of the other Gospels, it's to those folks that he is the least, um, he's not as patient. He kind of, he's a little more blunt and he jumps right into the the meat of things and, and calls them out for what they are because they are representing and misrepresenting who God is, what he wants for people, and the way to know him. Because what's at stake when you do that is the foundation. And so Jesus is always confronting that. And so we're in John 3. We finished right there at verse 16 and, and verse 17. And, and just as a, a run-up and as a reminder of, of what Jesus was saying, and because it, it goes into this next part of the discussion. What was God doing when he sent his son into the world. What was he saying? What statement was being made? And, and part of our difficulty is that as we, as we evaluate that today, and as we hear uh, that assessment being made by different people, you know, they, they feel like this, that God is angry and mean, and he's just sending people to hell, and he doesn't love them, and, and, and he's, he's just, he's just this ogre type person that, that, You know, you have to do things a certain way, and God never begins with the things that need to be done. Jesus presents the offering of God as where your heart is, because that is the foundational question. So when we looked at verse 16, we saw this expression of God's love from him to us. Now again, the dilemma we face is that we often try to, to, to define God's love based on what we think love is, and so we get that in, in, get that in reverse, we get it backwards, and, and we begin to say, well, this is what love is to me, therefore God you know, has to, to somehow accommodate my view of love, and this is what Jesus said about God's love, that he loved the world and gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, this Son, shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loved so much that he gave. John reiterates this when he writes his letter later in the New Testament. We see him saying, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. God sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The real essence of love is that he gave. And the part that, that again, confuses us is that we somehow feel that, that we're okay, that everything's okay, and I would be okay if God didn't intervene and mess things up. He's the one making a mess of things by saying, well, you know, I, if you don't do this, then I'm sending you there. And if you do this, then you get to go there. And that's not what he's saying at all. God's saying, I loved you so much that I want you to realize that without me, you're headed here. The destination is hell. That's not not where he's sending. That's where he's trying to save from. And until we get that in our minds, and that becomes a very important part of our message, we're going to to watch as the world continues to shape that, that misconception about God's love. He's not sending anyone to hell. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son. He's the one presenting the salvation, not the condemnation. Well, where does the condemnation come in? The condemnation, the judgment comes in from not accepting the offering of life that God has given. The assessment that God has given is, is based on his love, the, the, the price that will be paid, and he's just asking people to receive. And so whoever believes in him and the son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, stands condemned already. Condemnation doesn't come from God, but it comes from our unbelief. Wow, that ought to hit you right now. I mean, This is why I had you nudge someone and say, we need to listen up. God's not the one condemning. God is the one condemning our sin, the sin that would separate. The condemnation that we accept is that that's based on Our sin and not accepting the Son. Why then do we talk about the importance of this foundational truth that this is what God is on mission to do, to reveal Himself through Jesus? That's what Paul says over and over again. The cross, Christ crucified. That's all I came, that's all I wanted you to know about, that that what the world looked on and said, oh, that's foolish, God presented as life-giving and and truly the essence of faith of what it means to believe. They have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It it, it shifts for us. This this has to be, and I know because we, we kind of have allowed the culture of the world to kind of shape. We, we get defensive when it comes to our message of what it means to believe. Jesus is not defensive. Jesus is straightforward. Jesus is presenting this truth that says, I love you. The Father is nuts about you. And how do you know? Because he sent his Son to die for you. Because the sin that is condemned and, and, and is the object of wrath... Is removed from you, he puts it on his son. And, and all of those things we, we know with hindsight, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't give all of those how to's and why for's and wherefores and all of that yet. He's, he's just presenting the, fun, the foundational, fundamental truth of God's love and what he's doing in sending his son. So this is the judgment. God's not the one doing the judging here. This is the verdict. It's the word for judgment. Here's where judgment comes in. It, it's, it's us doing this, not God. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They didn't, wanna, they didn't want the judgment of their sin. They wanted to remove themselves from it and then say, God's judging me. No, God's judging the sin that would separate you, and, and yet you're, the verdict is the light has come and you refuse it because you believe you know best. Now, I, I don't I don't in any way I don't want to be condescending or or unkind or or harsh about this, but but Jesus is going to say this over and over again. And again, when we get to the other extreme, what I'll say is the extreme of the the social spectrum when we see the woman at the well in chapter 4 next week. You're going to see this, I know where you've been, I know what you've done, I know what situation you're in, but guess what? All you had to do was ask me for the water that never ends, the living water. He told this woman, a Samaritan woman. And again, once we understand all of the dynamics of that relationship, the fact she was a woman in the first century was a problem. The fact that she was a Samaritan woman was was only magnification of that problem. The fact that she would be viewed as an immoral Samaritan woman would only contribute to that, that, that view, and Jesus doesn't let that stand in his way. He simply says, all you had to do was ask. Well, that flies in the face of of our contemporary view. And I bring that up a lot because I don't want you to be defensive about the claims of Jesus. I want you to to be able to offer them the way Jesus would offer them. Say, well, I can't believe in a God that would send, send people to hell just because they didn't believe in Jesus or just because they didn't do this or do that and say... Well, God's not sending anyone to hell. You can say that now, right? You've got the confidence of the truth of God's word. He didn't come to condemn anyone to hell. He sent Jesus to save. You're already headed there. I'm already headed there. That's the destination without him. He doesn't want that. Somehow we, we bought into this that he, he sometimes is gleeful about that destination in the reality of it. He's not at all. It breaks his heart. And we know that because he sent his son. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And here's the bottom line. It's a, we transfer all of this perspective on God. Well, God sees me as evil and bad. No, you like what you're doing, and you don't like the fact that the light reveals that it's not what it ought to be, and instead of just coming to the light and and receiving the offer that is there, you want to remain in the darkness. Has nothing to do with God. That's not where he wants you. He's not only exposed where you are, but he's exposed where he wants you to be. And those two things have to go together. And so it's okay. And and we've heard mentioned about, you know, people being confronted by their sin. That's, That's a good thing. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. We'll see that later in John. He convicts the world of that sin. The light has come. Revealed the fact that you can't get there on your own. You're not there without him. So then he convicts them of righteousness, that that, that that place that God has given is found in Christ alone, and then judgment, that judgment does indeed come. Jesus took it upon himself to be judged for our sin so that we can be given his righteousness. And judgment does come. There's, a, there's that, that dynamic of what Jesus has done, but there's also the big picture. The judgment does indeed come. That is, that is there, that it, for those who have rejected the offer that God has given, then they remain in that position where, and we'll see that here at the end of chapter 3, that the, the wrath of God remains on them because they like who they are without him. Shouldn't we be able to do that? Well, you are. And this is where Jesus is making it clear. Says why, again, from some of those perspectives, we want to be clear that this faith is a responsibility we have to believe. You're offered this, it is a gift, it is by grace. When the, the, the conversation goes on, it says, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly. Why living by the truth? Because God has revealed where we are, what, who he is, and what he has given, so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. That's why God responded. And so that's why God gave his son. So it's based in the truth. It's, it, it's uh, kind of convoluted to get to the place where we somehow believe that that that's a mistake. God has clearly seen and responded. Think of that; He had the right to respond by, you know, with a with a, a hammer fist, but He doesn't. He He indeed opens His hands and and He says. I I can't tell you, I hate sin so much because I love you so much, and I want you. So to solve the problem of sin, I sent my son and I put all of that on him so that it's not attached to you. So that now when you say, I believe that's true, I receive you as if that's not yours. Wow. Wow. I don't often ask for an amen or anything like that, but say wow or something, go amazing. That is amazing. He takes everything that would separate us and he puts it on Jesus who alone could bear that, who could take it because he had nothing that would separate him from the Father. And yet he took that separation. He took the penalty of sin. He took the judgment he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. This is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to us. And this is what's so amazing about this message. Not my message, this message. It applies through every age, every culture, every, to every person, to anyone who would believe. And that's why we keep hearing the stories. What does God reveal to those who are in places where they don't have access like you and I? That he loves them, that Jesus died for them. And like the Chinese teenager, young man that I told you about many times, rolled out of bed when he heard that message and it came through a vision because he read just excerpts of the Bible in one day. And God shows up and says, it's true. I love you. Jesus died for you. And he rolls out of bed and says, I want that. Guess what? Those are words of salvation. He didn't know the formula or the prayer or the things that we're used to. That wasn't, God just wanted him, and that's the way it happened. When we go into this next section, so I'd kind of like to just briefly go through this, these last few verses where we have another interaction with John the Baptist, where we have a kind of reinforcing of what he said earlier, it's not me, I'm not the Messiah. Well, Jesus, they're baptizing over there, and more people are going to him, and he says, that's what I'm here for. I'm sending people to him. Don't get upset because our little group's not growing. And in fact, it might be fading. I'm only here to, to, to say I'm not, I'm not the bridegroom, he is. So all of it belongs to him anyway. And, and, and so in the midst of that question, let's just read through it. There's a couple of, and a great verse that, you know, he must increase, I must decrease. It says Jesus went out into the Judean countryside with his disciples where he spent some time with them and, and they were, people were being baptized. We know from beginning of verse, or chapter 4, the disciples were baptizing. There was this regeneration that, that was uh, a, a part of that. But John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized there. And this was before John was put in prison, by the way, so he has his head still. Good to know. An argument developed, and apparently that had come up when it was, so John John throws that in there as a, a, that's why the parentheses uh, are around it. He doesn't, they didn't have parentheses in Greek. Just that was added by the person translating it. Say John is putting that in there because he needed that side note, that footnote. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. I'd love to know who that was. I, my mind wants to go into that more, but they came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, meaning Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given from him, from heaven. That, that's okay. He's, he's laying the foundation to say, I did what I was asked to do. He said, you guys can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. They're his. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. I'm the friend. And it's complete because the Messiah is here. I just pointed to him. What a great illustration, by the way. First century, we, we know weddings were different. Without going into all of those things we talked about in chapter 2. The friend is, is like everyone else, waiting. The bridegroom is, is there to, to, to give all of the, the substance, all of the validity to the relationship and, the, and that which the bride is due. I heard his voice, and it made me happy. My joy, it's here, and it's complete because that's who he is. He must increase. I must decrease. If this is going to work the way it's supposed to, yes, in a general way, this, this is. But, but he's going back to say, I was sent to point to him. He's here. I'm not going to quit pointing to him, but that means that if I'm doing my job, I'm just going to keep sending people to him. I'm not just saying, wait for him. He's going to be here. There comes one after me whose sandals I'm not fit to tie. No, he's here. This is the one I was talking about. I must diminish. He must get bigger. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Again, signifying that that's... uh, where Jesus has come from and fulfilling the promise of God. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. This is the place that John sees and understands. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit, a great principle as well. The Father "...loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands." Meaning, not just saying, here, go do it. He's put everything that he is in his hands. This is what Paul's talking about in Colossians when he says, "...the fullness of deity is in Jesus in bodily form." Everything that God is, is in his hands. All authority, all, all the, the, the uh, uh, probability, possibility, all the potential, everything is in him. All the promises. And so he finishes by saying, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. Can't say it any simpler. I hope I never, ever am challenged with saying anything different. I know it may get repetitive, but we have to find ways for us to convey this truth over and over again that this is the, this is the, the definition of God's love. He gave his son so that whoever believes has life. If you don't believe... You're rejecting the life. Later, he's going to say, if you reject the Son, you reject whom? The Father. If you reject the Father, you reject the Son. Everything that God is, is in the hands of Jesus, and he has put the Father on display. This is the foundation. Everything builds from here. Jesus at times will do some of that building. He'll talk about discipleship. He'll talk about the 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 what it means to believe, not the virtue of belief, the reality of belief. This is what faith is. This is taking in Jesus and more and more of him. He'll he'll say that of himself. He'll say to those who don't he says you don't the reason you don't believe in me is because you can't accept the father's words. You don't accept the truth of God's word, therefore you will not accept Jesus. Does that sound familiar? We need to see the bridge that exists there for us to understand the culture and the, and the, 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 the spiritual chaos around us. It's not okay to reject Jesus. And if you have someone who is saying, I just, I'm not there, just say you need to understand what's at stake. Jesus did not pull any punches here, and I, I would like for you to see this. The claim of Jesus is that if you don't have life in him, you don't have life at all. He came to give you life. He came to give you that which only can be received through him. Will you please think about that and even invite them to pray about it. Invite them to say things like, Father, if this is true, or God, if this is true, whatever where they're comfortable, God, if this is true, I, I, I want that. Just get them to, to say, that's what I want. I want to know that. The Father will not, he will not back away from that. He will take that, that simple request and continue to infuse that truth within them. You and I are responsible for the truth. God is responsible for the change. But if we're not giving the truth, it's hard to invite them to accept the change. When we go into chapter four, we see the woman at the well, there's so much there. But I do want you to see the consistency. All you had to do was come to me and whatever metaphor Jesus uses to define and describe that truth. And always keep in mind, when he uses a metaphor, it doesn't mean that he's diminishing the, the, the reality of the truth. It only reinforces it. Some have said that, you know, well, Jesus said, he was a door. So he, he was a, a shepherd. And here he's going to say he's, he's, you know, the well of living water. No, he's none of those things in reality. Uh, as, as a, a physical reality, but as a spiritual reality, he's every single one of those things, and that's what we have to latch on to, that just because we don't understand or may not be able to accept those physical examples, it doesn't may, diminish in any way what he's representing as the reality that God is offering. Let's go there together. It's exciting for me. I know you can tell. Yeah, I I just, but I I really work on it all the time. I want to be able to have that conversation just to say, just examine the claims of Jesus, but I got to know those. So when I say it, don't, don't, you know, I'm not going to pretend that they're going to go find a Bible and start looking at them. I need to know what those claims are. In a nutshell, I need to be able to say, these are the claims of Jesus for me, for you, for everybody. And when they say, well, I just, I don't understand that, just remind them, don't let what you don't understand keep you from what is crystal clear. I'm sure there was a lot that that was misunderstood. Nicodemus even expressed it. Jesus just kept doubling down. But don't miss what God is offering Father, that is our prayer. That lays out all that you have done and given in Christ. It it asks us and invites us to continue to trust you, continue to work in us, to take you at your word that it is truth, that that is revealed in Jesus. And Lord, none of us can say that we have it all together. We're still working. The foundation is there. But we know that we're a work in progress. Help us and lead us and guide us. To have renewed confidence in the claims of Jesus, not as just a body of truth, but as applied truth, that you have given us new life in him. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.